Welcome to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. Back again with Cameron Christensen, uh, Matt Christensen, and as always, Tim Cox. Uh, I've stopped doing personal digs against you, Tim. Um, don't take it personally. <laughs> I can dig. <laughs> and uh, and our new, uh, another, uh, for a first time, we got a podcast first here. We have a woman on the podcast. This is, so Whoa. mom, <laughs> Mary <What>? Christensen. <laughs> This is uh, groundbreaking uh, material here. So welcome to the podcast, Mom. Thank you. So uh, we've invited uh, Mary Christensen onto the podcast uh, to talk about culinary arts. So uh, my mom uh, was, so you've got, let's establish a little bit of uh, your biography here. So uh, master's in, I believe, Home economics, or I don't know specifically what the name right. of your Right, it's master's. called family and consumer science. Yeah. Okay, family and consumer science. So, and master's minor degree. Minor nutrition. Minor nutrition. Um, long time, lifelong educator. So, yes. taught uh, taught right out of college, I believe. Um, Correct. And then uh, taught us as we talked again in a previous podcast. You homeschooled all three of us for a number of years. And yes. somehow remained at least partially sane. Um, so uh, and, then, <laughs> and then taught uh, another what fifteen years at the high school. Twenty one. Uh, Twenty one. Wow, I was off. Okay, so twenty one years. Homeschooling high... math coming through there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't hold it against you, mom. Um, <laughs> okay, so twenty one years of uh, of a combination of a number of different subjects as high school teachers were wont to do. You uh, have to wear multiple hats, but for the majority of the time, you spent your time teaching either food uh, foods or um, uh, restaurant. Um, what was it? restaurant management? What was that school? That class yeah. called? Um, Pro, Pro start. Pro start. Okay, which was a restaurant class, right? It was a, right. a cooking and and managing a restaurant type of preparation. That's um, right. So th- that's uh, a little bit about what you did in your career. Recently retired a couple of years ago. Currently also living in Taiwan with uh, my dad, your husband, Bryce Christensen. We had in our la- last podcast about writing, so go listen to that one. Currently living in Taiwan and uh, doing some different type of cooking over there. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll start with some some basics about some culinary arts and and nutrition and and just kind of dig into that subject. So, I guess to start off with, um, what what uh, what is what should everyone know how to cook? What uh, what when you started a class, uh, foods one students just coming in? What were the first things that you taught them? Uh, how to measure how to read a recipe, and how to keep food safe. Those were the basics on which we built. Okay. Are those, are measurements, uh, food measurements, are those uh, the same across different, uh, I know obviously we have the metric system everywhere except the United States. Uh, cooking, is, is that different also in, in other countries then? Yes. Uh, there are some differences. Uh, the metric system, which is a much easier uh, most and restaurants in the United States have gone almost metric. They've gone to a weighing system, which you weigh in grams or you weigh in kilograms, or um, rather than measurements, because a teaspoon and a tablespoon and a cup um, are not exact measurements, and they can uh, vary by the people doing them. And so uh, they've gone to a weight measurement in a restaurant. Uh, I've gone to a weight measurement at home. But most places use a teaspoon or a tablespoon or those types of measurements. Over here, it's all weight. Okay. Um, so what, what is the first recipe that you have, that you used to have? New students learning how to cook, a layman such as myself in cooking, as I'm very inexperienced at it. What, uh, what are the first things that you have them cook to kind of get used to using you know, measurements, reading a recipe? What are the basic recipes? Uh, the first one we started with were basic quick breads, and we would start with pancakes because we can have them um, make pancakes adding one ingredient at a time, starting with flour and the liquid and then adding baking powder and making little pancakes after each ingredient so they can see what the ingredient is doing to their product. Um, mm. Once you understand, 
you will never put a half a cup of baking soda in in, in anything um, in a small home recipe <laughs> if you know what baking soda does, okay? <laughs> That's uh, good words of wisdom. Uh, I haven't made that mistake yet, but... Good, um, good. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's what as far as like okay, so that's something you cook on like a, a frying pan or whatever. Right. Uh, the oven is it, what's a basic like cook, like something to a basic recipe that you teach kids um, how to cook in in an oven. Muffins. Muffins. Okay. Muffins were a basic recipe. They played off the pancake recipe, and now we're going to the oven. But um, remember, I I taught. Um, I taught junior high and I also taught high school and I was amazed at how many students coming in had never ever done anything like this before and we got some very interesting looking products okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did um, okay so I have a lot of a lot of various questions I'm trying to work these together in some type of logical series but well what well, do you Cameron, what I think do you, you remember cooking first what oh, yeah. do so, I remember cooking first? Sorry, before Cameron starts, Cam all of our listeners are familiar with Cameron, and we have mentioned this in the past, but just to re reiterate, Cameron is not a full layman on this subject by any means. Cameron took a full year of culinary arts school, so Cameron has uh, some street cred here. Sorry, go oh, ahead, Cameron. Well, thank you. I, I do have a little bit of street credit. Um, first thing I remember... It would probably be cookies, uh, bread, and wontons <laughs> would be the first ones that I really remember making with you. Right. So what did in, in your culinary arts school, though, Cameron, what did they have oh, you do there? First, uh, are, do you want the cooking class or the baking class? I, both. Both. Either. Um, baking, first things that we went through were weights and measurements, uh, much like what mom just said, um, understanding how to scale recipes, um, because once you know how to scale a recipe, um, it should turn out the same no matter what, but that's not always the case. So you can learn sometimes when you scale a recipe that's supposed to make, say, 4,000 cookies to a dozen cookies, um, it can sometimes not taste quite right. That's so, that's and so yes, good. we did have recipes that actually were like that in the book. Um, a lot of recipes that we had in our book were like army-type recipes, so you would really actually make like 4,000 cookies. That's mm -hmm. what the recipe was for. Um, after that, uh, we went to, I think it was pie dough was the next thing that we went and learned, um, how to make your different pie doughs. Um, in my cooking class, we started out, um, with basic knife skills and cuts and what you would use, which cuts for, and then we would make, um, pretty simple dishes, um, kind of with that and then we went more to more elaborate things when you say cuts i assume you mean cuts of meat um not just cuts of meat like you cut a potato and you have your large dice medium dice small dice um just there's a bunch of different cuts your julienne stuff like that okay that's so, what is farm? julienne uh, Julianne is, I believe, a quarter inch by two and a half inches, something like that, is a perfect Julianne. So it's a square that is a quarter inch around and about two and a half inches tall. Okay. It's about the size of a matchstick. Okay. I think it's bigger than a matchstick. Oh, I might be thinking of it. Anyway. Anyway. I'm a little rusty on which what the sizes are, but yeah, you would. But we learned it's a it's a quarter inch by a quarter inch. Okay, yeah, so quarter inch by quarter inch, and then yeah, about the length of a matchstick, and that that is a julienne. So I mean, it's kind of learning what things are, and then 
once you kind of grasp how to cut those things, then you're like, oh, if I'm going to, let's say, make some breakfast burritos, would be the easiest way to cut my meat up? And I would say probably medium dice. So then it cooks faster, everything browns a little bit easier, stuff like that. So. Well, thank you. Okay. Um, so I guess this could, I pose this question both to us. I'll start with mom and then Cameron, you can also answer what you. So th this question is, what are the biggest or most common cooking mistakes that you, you saw, M mom? In my classes, by far, reading the recipe, they wouldn't read the whole recipe. They jump in and then about halfway through find out they had to do something else. And yeah, reading the recipe and then following through on the measurements. Um, I have had uh, muffins that boil like a soup because they put powdered sugar in instead of flour. I have had um, muffins that were huge and beautiful, but they put in a tablespoon of baking powder instead of a teaspoon and they, you, they're not edible. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd imagine the teaspoon, tablespoon ones that you have to, you have to have seen that pretty frequently, right? Because it's big oh. tea, little tea often, right? Oh, or yes. And I'm talking, uh, that I expect that in foods one. I remember a student coming to me in foods two and holding up a teaspoon and a tablespoon and saying, can you remind me what each one of these is? And it's like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to cry right here. Um, but yeah, um, putting in a cup of something and when they were only supposed to put in half a cup, those are the, it's, it was the measuring things that were probably my biggest problem. The other thing was undercooking and overcooking. Um, mm. Cookies that are little discs that can be played with on a hockey. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've seen biscuits of the same nature. And, uh, and then undercooking things when they're doughy in the middle or in cases of meat when it's still pink in the middle like chicken where you don't want it pink. All right. Okay. Cameron, what was the... Uh... What were some, I guess, maybe even you personally, your mistakes or other mistakes that you saw in, in first-year culinary arts? Uh, uh, well, most, most of the students going into culinary arts have already been through a lot of cooking, if that makes sense. You're, they're not sure. the greenest people going through it. I would say when I took my foods class in my hospitality unit, I saw a lot more common mistakes, like... Um, not knowing the difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon, stuff like that. Um, so, so I guess I'm so for culinary arts students. So is is it pretty common to like cut yourself? Um, I mean, are are those oh. the type of mistakes that you see, like people slipping up and constantly chopping their finger, or uh... um, every chef cuts themselves probably once a week. That's not like. Uh, that's that's to be expected then is what you're saying that's not like a well a, a rookie mistake that's like a everyone does it type of issue you're working with extremely sharp knives and if you don't move your fingers just right you're going to cut yourself i mean i would thought i was moving my fingers good and i cut through my nail into my hand you know i cut my finger all the way down to the bone i work like that's how Cameron gets that tangy zip in his salads. <laughs> Stop it. No, uh, you throw away your food, whatever you were working on. Uh, that I is hope so. no longer usable. No. <laughs> uh, no, but, I mean, it it doesn't hurt when you cut yourself with a very sharp knife. It just goes in, it's cut, and you're like, oh, crap. And then you throw a Band-Aid on it, and it's healed, like, in two days. It's not a big deal. For you. No. <laughs> right, and Cameron has a very high pain tolerance. I think that's come up in previous podcasts as well. I'm, I'm going to say 90% of the students that I was there with in culinary school cut themselves, and it was no big deal. Okay. It's just right. a cut. Get again, we were working with very sharp knives. There is a huge difference between cutting yourself with a sharp knife and a dull knife. And that's one of the things they ingrain on you when you go in is have sharp knives. So nice. Okay. Well, let's move, change topics just uh, slightly. So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about nutrition because, um, it's a very important part about cooking, um, understanding kind of why you're cooking, what you are cooking and what's in it. 
So, um, why we shouldn't deep fat fry everything? (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with a a layman question. So, we hear about fruits and vegetables. Are they really as good for you as they say they are, Mom? Yes. That's the the simple answer. Yes. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Yes. (laughs) Are there, um, there are better, there are vegetables that are better, better vegetables, right. but yes, they're all good for you. Okay, so what vegetables should I be eating more often? Uh, the more colorful ble- vegetables. Go for the most color. Okay. If you're going to there... eat uh, potatoes, eat a yam. They're so mm. high in vitamin A, and there's so so many wonderful things. A potato is okay. But a yam is so much, or a sweet potato is so much better. Um, go for your dark green, uh, spinach, uh, cauliflower, not cauliflower, broccoli, um, anything like that. But a variety. Uh, I guess if there's anything you should do is just try and eat a variety. Hmm. Okay. Um, I tried that on my children and it didn't always work. It, it didn't work. <laughs> no. But um, is, is there a good way to... Uh, to, to work uh, vegetables into to, into different recipes or cooking or what what did what did you do um, uh, how do you work vegetables in a lot of people don't have them in their diet normally uh, I tried to make sure that there are two vegetables at every meal and ah. uh, but not breakfast um, and that didn't always work as my children can attest to but um, that's all we eat uh, now, have we discussed what your father and I are doing? Um, yeah, uh, right. that's what we eat now. Well, We're okay, vegans. so along those, I was going to say, along those lines, okay, so they're, they're, veganism, vegetarianism really are, I mean, they've always been around, but I, I feel like, I don't know in other countries, but especially in the United States, they're very much trendy, it's a, it's a fad, but it probably isn't just a fad. It, it is a, I think people are starting to realize that, that vegetables and fruits are good for you and that often your red meats and those types of things are not good for you. Um, um, but what, I wouldn't say, can I say something? Yeah, please I wouldn't go ahead. say they're not good for you. I would say they need to be eaten in, uh, in reasonable amounts and um, they, they have a complete protein. When you become a vegan, as your father has, uh, because of his heart problems, we, I have to work very hard to make sure there's complete proteins. Um, once you take meat out of the diet, you don't, you don't have a lot of complete proteins there anymore. And, um, and so you need to be working very hard to make sure you get complete proteins so that you have all of the things your body needs to keep you healthy. What do you mean by complete protein? Okay. The body, we know the body needs nine essential, um, you need 20 amino acids in your body. Um, and you're going to get those 20. Your body makes some of them. But you're, you're going to get most of those from things you eat. And, but nine of them are what we call essential because you have to get them from food. The only foods that have all nine in are animal products. Okay? So meat, um, cheese. Uh, cheese is a little low on one. But anyway, um, and so once you take those out of your diet, you're going to have to arrange things. There are complementary um, protein amino acids in different things. So if I eat rice and beans, I will get all nine, okay? If I have peanut butter and a grain, I will get all nine. A nut and butter and grain, I will get all nine. Um, and so you start working through different things. I can add nuts to things, nuts and a grain. Well, that's what peanut was. Um, so you have to start working it so that you get all of them. Our labels in the United States are just a little deceptive. They'll say number of grams of protein, but that doesn't mean they're complete protein. So you have to kind of work that through. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that at all. Um I am so sorry. Your mother failed to teach you. <laughs> I feel like it's something you've mentioned in the past, but you know, it's uh, things you forget. Um, well, as we discussed in our education podcasts, there is a difference between teaching and learning, and the responsibility <laughs> is not all on one side, is it, Carl? Well, anyway. <laughs> There's also this question of motivation. Um, I knew about all the aminos. I, I am curious. 
what are your favorite vegetables and how do you like to have them? So I'll answer the opposite of the question because it's insightful. Um, one of my least favorite vegetables uh, is anything that is a leaf. And I don't like to eat that because I consider myself superior to the beast that goes out and chomps on leaves. Um, but Jessica, being wonderful and, and immensely patient, has managed to work that into our diet by uh, chucking them in smoothies and grinding them up with good tasting things. Uh, so you don't even notice. And you have your tropical berry, yogurt, fruit, spinach smoothie and it's a good way to get uh, a lot of those nutrients uh, while deceiving your husband and your children into eating nutritional food without having to have it taste like it matt yeah, if I'm i showed you a picture of a gazelle drinking a smoothie would you still drink him i would be more inclined to shoot the gazelle and eat that instead <laughs> but whatever with the smoothie to boot okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of, of uh, deceptive vegetable eating. Any way you can slip it into something that might be uh, more along the lines of things I'd want to eat. But I have learned really to enjoy a good salad. And I don't just mean the salad doused in like blue cheese dressing, but I mean a nice vinaigrette on... on uh, on some a spinach salad, for example, with uh, some berries and, and nuts on it, that's a very healthy uh, meal and and tastes good to boot. So, um, salads are a big way that I and and so in that place, I don't mean iceberg lettuce, I mean romaine lettuce, because like you mo right. mentioned, mom, co more colorful uh, romaine is also significantly better for you. I don't iceberg essentially is only good in that it has fiber in it. So yeah, and, and not even really a good source of that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, there yeah. You go. There, there are some of the laymen out here who would like to short-circuit the system because they watch the gazelle and they watch the cow sitting out there eating the vegetables and they think, I don't need to eat the vegetable. The cow ate the vegetable. If I eat the cow, then I get the vegetable and it tastes good. <laughs> so uh, is, is that a legitimate? Uh, or, no. Or, no. It's not, not a valid rationalization? No, it's not. Uh, vitamin C isn't stored in muscle. You're gonna eat. You're gonna eat the muscle, and the muscle is protein. Okay, and the there are some minerals stored in that muscle. Um, you're gonna get some vitamin B in that muscle. You're gonna get iron. You're gonna get some zinc. Uh, but there are things like vitamin C uh, and some of the other things that are not stored in that muscle, and you have to get them in other sources. So you would say your water-soluble vitamins aren't stored really within the body and its tissue, so you won't be getting those up. Right. So here's the so question. What I, I heard know. is there's no way to cheat the system. You <laughs> can get more if you eat liver. I'll say that. You can get more of your, your minerals and vitamins that way. So what yes. you're saying is there's no real way to cheat the system. <laughs> I personally like liver. I, I have no problem with that. Um, like, you know, <laughs> Pure carnivores like like cats. How do they get their those nutrients? You know, most most of them make them internally. Oh, okay, um, but we don't. No, uh, vitamin C is made in most animals. Uh, they make it themselves. When you go to test or do any studies on uh, using animals to see the results of a lack of a vitamin or something, um, I did mine on vitamin C when I was in college and. Uh, there are only a few animals that do not make their own vitamin C. So to study animals and the results of a diet on an animal, you have to find an animal that doesn't produce it. And sometimes that's hard to find. Oh. And I, I would assume that your omnivore versus your carnivore are going to produce more of those other vitamins that they need. Versus an omnivore that, like humans are, um, we eat both plants and meat, not strictly just meat. So, okay. Along the subject of vitamins, uh, while we're talking about different types of vitamins and what's produced, um, we talked about vegetables, obviously being really good for you. Fruits also, uh, but um, a lot of people uh, take multivitamins. Um, right. What? What? What good is that? Does it does it actually do anything for you, Mom? It depends. Um, 
sometimes multivitamins are are offered when a person has a diet low in something or they can't they can't eat what something uh, if you can't eat um, if you have an allergy to a particular type of thing and you need that for the nutrition then those um, people sometimes uh, take them as a backup to make sure they're covered in case they're not eating correctly um, if you're eating correctly you probably do not need to take a multivitamin um, but you they're probably not going to hurt you uh, there are some studies out there that talk about multivitamins aging you fa uh, faster um, putting more stress on your system but really nothing conclusive is out there right now okay I've heard, yeah, I've heard that multivitamins are generally not absorbed as well or as easily as, so you, you can't substitute a multivitamin for a vegetable, essentially, unless you have to. Right. Um, you, let's say you, you drink a glass of milk, you will absorb about 80% of the calcium in that milk. You take a calcium pill and you probably will only absorb about 50% of what the calcium pill has in it. So people who are thinking they're taking their calcium in pill form, it, it may not be being absorbed at that rate. Um, food is a better place for uh, absorption of most vitamins, but not all vitamins. Okay. All right. So as far as um, the combination of, the, of these two subjects that we've now discussed, co cooking and nutrition, what are some healthy cooking tips. I know a lot of people, like I said, people want to cook what they want to eat and often what they want to eat isn't particularly healthy. So what are things that you can do to, um, to make, make things more healthy? What, what are some healthy cooking insights? Anytime you're cooking a vegetable, the liquid that you're cooking it in is going to have nutrients in it. So if you can use that liquid in a gravy or in a sauce, that's why soups are so oftentimes considered so healthy because the vegetables cook in the soup. You get all the vegetable, all the nutrients in the vegetable, both in the liquid and in the vegetable itself. Um, steaming is better than boiling because the, the, the water will pull away some of the vitamins. Um, what Matt just said with the, the smoothie, that's a great way to go. You can throw lots of really good stuff in there and it can taste good and you're getting it. Um, interestingly, in things like spinach, any vegetable that becomes a brighter color when you cook it, like carrots or broccoli or spinach, actually increase in the amount of vitamin A they have in them or available to you when you eat them when you cook them. Um, oftentimes we think raw is the only way to go, but uh, spinach is more nutritious after it's been cooked. So is broccoli, so are carrots, um, anything where the color is enhanced. It becomes, in spinach, becomes darker. Um, broccoli becomes brighter. Carrots become deeper orange. All of those are indications that you have broken down the vitamin A and now you can absorb it easier. So baking another thing. Is, baking is yeah. also good. Well, yeah, I was going to say, so something that um, I know that my wife has mentioned to me that I didn't know, and maybe you told me, Mom, but I, once again, this question of whether or not I was particularly motivated to learn, um, the, uh, the and when you're, when you're baking or, or, or something along those lines, uh, lots of recipes use lots of oil. Oils are generally yeah. not good for you, That's but there correct. are ways you can substitute things for oil that won't affect the recipe drastically. Correct. So I think my wife told me uh, applesauce, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Applesauce in certain recipes. You've got to take a look at the recipe. What is the oil doing in the recipe? And then decide if you can substitute it, okay? And things like muffins and breads and things like that. You can put applesauce in it. It will keep it moist. That's the reason the oil is in there, okay, is to make it tender. Uh, but you cannot do that in a pie crust. If you substitute shortening, <laughs> if you substitute applesauce for shortening, you'll just have a small mess on your hands. Okay. Right. right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah. But, um, um, you can substitute flaxseed um, for eggs. Mm. You can substitute, uh, I'm trying to think, mashed up bananas can be substituted for oil. 
but again, look at the recipe and decide what the oil is doing and then decide if it can be substituted. Right. Are, are there some types of oils that would be recommendable regardless of circumstance or in general are oils just to be avoided? Cameron, you want to jump in on this one? Oils? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep hearing... Coconut the, oil? Yeah, there, there seems to be a new oil in vogue every, every other yeah. week. Avocado oil, coconut oil, all these other Sunflower oils. seed oil. Yeah, yeah. Are, are some of these actually what you would call healthy oils? Or are all of the oils just varying degrees of unhealthy, I guess is my question. Uh, that is a catch-22. Um <laughs> A lot of these oils have paid for studies to show them in a favorable light. Oil in general is not going to be healthy for you. Just plain and simple. Um, the way oils break down, if you've had chemistry, um, you learn uh, the, the way the chains break down, and that's what causes you issues. Yes, some break down better than others, so they're healthier for you. But there's no such thing as a healthy oil, no matter what people tell you. So, Cameron, I've been drinking a liter of olive oil a night. Has it all been for naught? Um, I would Explain, uh, that explains really a lot. <laughs> worry about your digestive system if you're drinking a liter of olive oil every night. It's had unusual effects that I won't go into. All right. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, yeah. it is my recommendation you stop. Yeah. but it's olive oil i've heard of that olive oil is like a, a good fat and other oil you know it, it it has a lot of hype the more you dive into it you actually learn that olive oil is not that much better than okay. a bunch of other oils um okay. canola or canola is a decent one it has less triglycerides and that's basically what they're really selling you is what are your triglycerides which are your worst fats that you intake so what, that, what's the worst oil i can use uh worst oil yeah like uh, you mentioned um lard you know, lard lard. Okay. lard would be your worst oil that you could use in, in terms of triglycerides ironically or that's not the right word but sadly i bet it's the one that makes things taste best huh lard does taste amazing well, i have a bucket those... of lard in my kitchen don't but, some of those oils have a lower, like a higher smoking temperature, so that they're better for frying? Yes. Yeah. Are those related? Lower peanut oil has frying? a really high smoke temp. Um, I also, I believe, avocado and sunflower sunflower seed oil have a really high. Linseed oil has a really high smoke content. Um, grape seed but, is a decent, but I mean, there's there's lots of different types of oils. It just kind of depends what you want to cook with. Others will give you a different flavor, and that's more what you, they're selling you is flavor. Um, I, I will say the big hype about coconut is really, it's not good for you. If you go in and actually look at the studies, coconut oil is not healthy. As in less healthy than other oils, or just not It's up the there with lard. Really? Yeah. Coconut huh. oil is not actually a healthy oil. Okay, I'm, I may have a container in my house that I need to, uh, well. <laughs> when you look at your coconut oil and it's solid in your house, it's going to tell you that it has a lot of fat in it. It has a lot of triglycerides because that's what gives you your fat. Like your I butter. thought it was just because it's derived from the coconut, which, as we all know, is a fairly solid object. But okay. <laughs> Yes, uh, I mean, yeah. But so are so, olives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, the conspiracy just keeps getting deeper here. <laughs> I know um, too much. So I mean, yeah. coconut oil has is high in unsaturated fats, and but they are short string unsaturated fats versus lard, which is long string saturated fats. Um, but what Cameron's saying is right. The the studies are out there that say this is the very best thing for you. And then you take another look at some of those studies and they're saying, no, this is not good for you. So I think moderation is what you do. Uh, we've taken all the oil out of our diet just to try and keep dad's heart going. 
And so that's been our challenge. But most of the time, if you use it in small amounts, it's probably not going to do serious damage. Unless you have heart disease, then it does serious damage. Well, so that's a really important point when we're talking about nutrition. And I think one people need to understand to some degree is that your genetic predisposition for particular things should affect how you eat and what uh, what type of diet you actually go on because those that are predisposed for heart disease should very closely watch their fats and their oils. And uh, if you're not predisposed to have heart issues, maybe you don't need to, uh, you still need to be careful, right? The, the human body is right. only meant to take in so many, so much junk, but uh, you don't have to be as careful as those that might, might, uh, have, you know, for example, both their grandparents have had, uh, or both their grandfathers had heart attacks. Uh, right. They might be speaking, concerned. Right. Speaking for a friend, of course. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, okay. So. Yeah. A very close friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So before we leave, one last thing before about, um, uh, nutrition before we move on to the last subject, which will be restaurants, um, or organic, organic food, organic vegetables, organic fruit. It really is, uh, like the in vogue thing. What does it mean? And is it useful at all? Okay. Mom or Cameron? Mom? Oh. oh, this is going to be a, 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 a pretty polarizing one. <laughs> I think that you have to be very concerned with how they label them. Okay, what um, one of the biggest concerns is what does organic mean? And you need to take a look at what the newest labeling laws. I don't know what the newest labeling laws are in in the states because I've been gone a year. Um, but how are they labeling? What are their What are the qualifications for organic versus non-organic food? Sometimes they're so loose that there are things that are um, that should never be labeled organic, labeled organic. Um, so before you, you make that decision, I think you take a look at the laws and you see how they're labeling them and if it's a valid. And then you decide if that's something that is important to you, then you may go one way with it and it may not be important to another person. They may go another way with it. But the labeling, I think, for me, is one of the biggest problems because everybody was starting to, to stick organic on their things when, indeed, they were not organic. The and organic, I, sorry, before you, organic means they don't use particular specific, specific types of pesticides, right? Or Correct. Or, or fertilizers. Okay. So, yeah, at a, at a chemical level, I mean, it, it, it's all organic uh correct because it's See, all organic why... material but but yeah that's kind of it was that your first point what does organic actually mean yeah because uh, because of what matt just said at a chemical label everything was organic everybody was sticking organic on their food raising mm -hmm. the price and right. and and selling it for organic when indeed in what most people were thinking was organic was not being what was being held to by the label. Okay, interesting. So uh, actual organic food, so actual food that didn't use particular fertilizers or particular pesticides. Have there been studies, do you know of any research that shows that it actually is ha has effect on nutrition or health or is that just per perception? Uh, one of the major networks back in the United States did a study when this organic big movement started years back. And they, they bought organic food and they bought non-organic food and then they had it tested for nutrition and they had it tested for everything. And then they brought in um, the organic, um, uh, I don't know, expert, whatever, and, and then asked her questions. What they found is it didn't affect the nutrition. Okay. Okay. Bottom line, it didn't affect the nutrition. And then they said, well, we found, uh, but the pesticides was a question. Uh, and that's the big question in this whole process because you get pesticides being passed down in things. And, um, 
but they found that if people were taking it home and washing it, they were not getting the levels of pesticides that were being said that they were getting. They were getting lower ones. They did find one problem with organic, and that was an increase in some of the types of bacteria that live on plants. And, um, and that bacteria, most of the time, is not harmful, but there are a few like E. coli, which is a bacterial thing. And you, you've seen it. You've seen spinach pulled from the shelves. You've seen other stuff pulled from shelves because they were finding an elevated um, amount of E. coli in the products. So that is also from where they get it too. Like right, right. In in Mexico, it's okay to use black water, and we won't go into the specifics of what that is. But <laughs> when you use that, it increases the contaminability of those plants, but they're still organic. So oftentimes the difference is they'll spray half the field, though you won't spray the other half. And um, mm. sell the same exact vegetable to you at a $3 increase for one half and the other, you know, it's a mess. So, so look okay. at where your food is coming from. Yeah. And then Juice. find out what the, what the labeling laws are now. Because they, it, it's been up and down with this organic. Um, and you just need to be careful. Okay. And wash your vegetables when you bring them home. That was, that's a good takeaway is uh, if you're not buying organic. Well, probably in either case. Either in either case, whether you're buying organic or not, you wash those vegetables. Okay. Wash your food. And Even if you grow it from your home garden, still wash yeah. those vegetables. Yeah. yeah. How about okay. GMOs? Oh, that's a real up in the grab. Um, um, they've been GMOing since the beginning of time. Yeah, just that's so what you I know. was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> when they say these potatoes are not GMO, that's not true. Um, we've been GMOing potatoes for a very long time. So they are genetically modified. And um, so, um, I mean, yeah, you, you learned really about bad. your. One of the first GMOs of Mendel in his um, beans in almost every single chemistry class that you'll ever take, or yeah. biology class. Yeah. Well, um, seems like this is he an was area. back in the uh, 1400s. So let's let's be honest here. It's most of our stuff is. Yeah. Again, going back to the chemistry versus the label, it seems like there's a difference there at the you know at the scientific uh, biology level. Yeah, everything's a, a modified organism just based on, you know, we breed certain types of plants for desirable characteristics. However, Correct. the label is meant to imply something. And I, I don't know, is it still facing the same types of uh, challenges? Yeah, in, import in, in challenges, meaning? export challenges. Yeah. It well, and just in also, terms of the yeah. meaning of the label, when you see something labeled non-GMO, uh, does that actually mean anything these days? It means that the farmers that aren't in the giant corporation that have their um, GMO plants, and then they, anyway, there's there's a lot of issues with that. So we, I guess we won't go so into my question that, is G, if is GMO. We're talking nowadays. What we're talking about GMO, we're we're actually talking about plants that were taken by a science, a, a biologist or botanist, whatever it is, and right. and at the molecular level tampered with or, or you know changed in order yeah, to make they, them they move they move genes from one to the other okay which um, is what you do when you crossbreed plants the same way but sure. it's right. a quicker more expensive way right and very specific i can move yeah. a specific gene where if i crossbreed i'm not sure what i'm going to get okay so that's it, true it, it seems like the difference squares seems like the difference is there's a natural way to genetically modify an organism through crossbreeding and you know, as, as Mendel did versus the synthetic, if you will, method of doing it in a lab. And that's really what people are concerned about when they talk about non-GMO food is the fact that my modification is either done in a lab or done through natural crossbreeding of plants, something like right. that. Okay. Yeah, basically that's what it is. And for me personally, 
I don't care. It's <laughs> not going to change the way the food. Well, actually, it can make the fit way. It can make the food taste better if you actually genetically modify it because you can do that. You can genetically make things taste bigger, grow bigger, faster. Right. You can I, do I that. Don't think you could make potatoes that taste like gravy? Well, Willy Wonka did it. Um. I mean, <laughs> given it enough time, I mean, they can already make potatoes that taste like butter. Why not gravy? Wow. Well, I, th- I think one of the big concerns is the, um, you know, flour and gluten come up a lot where you have flour these days with a, oh, some is it's like an order of magnitude more gluten per yes. volume than your ancient flour and the 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 fear is that that type of genetic tampering whether lab done or 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 not has resulted in a crop that is actually potentially having significant health effects on the population as you see an increase in people with uh, celiacs and gluten other forms of gluten intolerance um but that said you know point taken genetic modification is a thing that has actually enabled humanity to survive and feed itself <laughs> so yeah the a lot of these wheat in in uh india save their population yeah, that's I, I think modified. an important yeah but an important thing to underline well we don't have all the answers about these things and whether or not they might be good for you i think it's really important to remember that the uh pesticides that we use the uh gmo uh, you know the modifications we're making generally people are doing this in order to feed more people um have more you know if we didn't have these pesticides more crops would be wasted um you know if we didn't have gmo more of these crops would fail uh to generally try to attack them i think people are trying to use uh these things in order to you know and they do so let's yeah Uh, with with that and uh attempting to move us out of the potentially controversial realm because this is a layman (laughs) podcast i really wanted to hit the what's your favorite kitchen gadget question yeah we'll get there we'll get there (laughs) we'll tease that okay the one thing we wanted to get before we get the favorite kitchen gadget is uh, just restaurants. I know, Mom, you taught about restaurants for a while. I think you taught um, kind of how what kind of chef work you do in a restaurant and some about uh, management and or menu preparation. Tell us a little bit about yeah. what you taught your students uh, when rest, with restaurant preparation and what, what you need to know. We had a statewide competition. Each school would bring a team and they would have to create a, a restaurant with a menu Uh, do a floor plan, do the layout, do staffing. Um, And then at the state level, um, the winning team would then go on to nationals and compete at nationals. And and my teams did very well. They, and not because of me, they were so creative, but uh, we've been to nationals several times and it was a lot of fun. Um, You asked what's the most important thing about a restaurant. Um, Bottom line is location, location, location. You need a good menu. You need to establish consistency in your menu so that if I come to your restaurant on a Wednesday and order something and I really like it and I come back on Friday, I will get the same thing. I will not get a new version of that restaurant. So, um, And then we talked about keeping the menu simple. You can do a few things really well, but when you see a menu that has like six pages, then what's their specialty? Where are they going with this? What can they do well? And oftentimes those are ones that have branched out into a lot of different areas um, in the United States. So they're appealing to different tastes from those areas. But we would teach them the importance of getting a flow in your restaurant uh, so that things move quickly, uh, food comes out quickly, and uh, you set things up for success. Does that answer it? Um, I would make a small... Add addition to that. Uh, right now, you need um, guests. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that would be true. You need distancing. Now, remember, here in Taiwan, we are not in the kind of lockdown you are because the, they closed their bar- borders. We've had no community spread of COVID for the last fifty days. Okay, so 
any COVID cases come in, they've flown in and they uh, developed in quarantine and then were ha hospitalized from quarantine. But um, in our island of 25 million, they've really contained this. So, but if you go into a restaurant, they've taken out tables. You don't sit close to anybody. And in one restaurant we went into, they had, they moved chairs. So only like three people could sit at a table. Um, they've done a lot to make that work here. So. Okay. Okay. So one other question about restaurants before we go on. Well, I, this is more of a across the board. You taught for a long time. You, uh, you got your master's degree, uh, uh, not to say that you're old mom, because I would never say that, mm -hmm. but, 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 um, but go ahead. You can think that. Okay. What, uh, what, what changed in, in nutrition and in cooking uh, and, uh, across the last, well, 40 years. Yeah. It used to be, everything was about quantity. Okay. If you gave them more food, it was the best. And so you saw during the early years in my life, a lot of, um, a lot of buffets, a lot of, uh, getting food out there in, in big quantities so that you would go out thinking, wow, I'm really full. I, you know, I ate two plates of this and, and that type of thing. So even if you went to a sit down restaurant, you would get a, a plate and it would be full of food. Um, now I see that it's come up in quality. So if I go into a restaurant, I may not get my plate keeping high, but I will get a, a better quality. Um, we tend to be a little more concerned about nutrition. I see vegetables much more than when I first started. Um, and so I think that the quality has come up and the quantity has come down. I also think that um, people eat out more nowadays than they ate out 40 years ago. Um, I would say that growing up in Minnesota, my parents maybe ate out once a month, maybe, and maybe not that often. And as children, when we would go out to a restaurant, that would be a big deal. We maybe went out twice a year. Now I would think most families eat. I remember one mother telling me of my student, student not so long ago uh, that I made a requirement they had to cook a meal at home. And she said, this is really hard because we never eat at home. We always, I just pick it up on the way home and we eat in the car. Um, Mary, so, on, on that note, I just recently read an article that they are tracking uh, eating habits. And after the shutdown, when things are totally locked down in like March or April, the people were going to the grocery store about as much as they were in like 1996. It you know okay. took a complete shutdown to take us back 24 years you know to those habits yeah yes and and get as getting food from the grocery store as opposed to eating out yeah that's interesting so, uh, i actually ate out more after that hit versus before huh then be careful <laughs> it was it was actually easier to stop and grab something on my way home than to cook and stuff like that I guess that's true. I have to put a mask on and go to the grocery store and walk around. Right. That's if they could actually get yeah. off in time to go to the grocery store. Right. They close sooner, and you also had to stand in lines, so there were some yeah. difficulties for sure. So yeah, they were they were closing at I think at seven, and didn't open till seven. And my hours did not always allow me to actually get into <laughs> to go to the grocery store. So it was actually easier to pick up food. So. Yeah, it was always an interesting little battle. So yeah, so we have a very unique time now, but I do think it's also insightful to see uh, that yeah, over the last forty years, things have really changed quite a bit in uh, well, in all the things that we just talked about: nutrition, restaurants, and uh, probably not as much as in cooking. Cooking, I think, has kind of stayed a little more static, right, Mom? Uh, I yeah. would say no. Versus uh, the other things. Go for it. I, I would say cooking has evolved a lot. Um, going to kind of what you guys are leading up to um, with a lot of the the new inventions has yeah. really changed the way you cook things in your higher end restaurants. A lot, a lot of everything is sous vide 
where you get a um, juicier cut of meat cooked at a very low temperature and basically in a bag of water. I mean, that's changed the way a lot of people eat stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, uh, there's always kind of a modern edge. Uh, I mean, you go through late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, gastronomy was pretty big where you basically make foam food. Like, it's it's changed quite a bit. And I would say now we're actually going back to more of a home rustic feel because that's what we want. We want that sense of security, that sense of um, what comfort. that brings. Yeah, that comfort which that brings. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'd say food changes constantly with the time and what what our feelings and emotions are. So Sure, sure. Well, you mentioned okay. the shift to metric measurements. Food has also become more accurate as a result, uh, <laughs> for what that's worth, right. for the engineers. Uh, now we just need to switch to SI measurement, and they'll be fine. Yep. Okay, so for the engineers, and for our last question here in this podcast, uh, Mom and Cameron, you can answer this as well. Uh, fav- what is your favorite kitchen gadget? Okay. So this can be I'm anything. Do okay, I'm go ahead. Do- tool my favorite kitchen tool is my chef knife and cameron gave you the reason it will be my favorite one is it sharp i have a uh, a way to sharpen my knives so i keep my knives sharp and i love my 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 favorite gadget um that's not electronic is a microplaner i love using zest and fresh nutmeg and fresh cinnamon in different things it gives it such a, a better flavor and then my favorite electrical gadget is my little teeny food processor. Mm. Right. Mm. Why do you like that? Oh, because, because of Bryce's diet, I do a lot of chopping things up. And um, I can just throw them in there, hit it, and my garlic's chopped, and my onions are chopped, and, and everything is chopped very, very quickly. After you've washed them all, of course. Well, after I've washed them all, of course. Okay, Cameron, favorite gadget? Um, that is that is hard. I would oh. say with mom, favorite tool definitely would be my knives. Um, it, so definitely chef knife. After that, I would probably either go with my utility or my flexible boning knife. It would probably be after that. Um, oh, man. I have a bunch of little gadgets. It's hard to really pick one. I'm going to... It's, it sounds weird. Um, I'm going to say can opener um, is probably one of my favorite <laughs> gadgets. I was going to say microwave. It's a gadget that everyone has, but if you've ever tried to open a can without the can opener (laughs) or a poor can opener, um, you really love a decent can opener after that. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Words of wisdom. Um, (laughs) After that, uh, favorite electronic gadget, it would either have to be my Instant Pot or my Microwave. It would be one of those two. And I was going to jump back in with my Instapot. My Instapot has been my my best friend here in Taiwan. And I, I will, can, yeah, I, yeah. I can't get canned beans here, so I can do my beans in my Instapot. I can make all kinds of things in it, and it does rice beautifully. I don't need a rice cooker; I have an Instapot. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, least favorite electrical gadget would be my range. Oh, but that's because you're supposed to have a gas range. It's electric. I'd rather have either a gas range or a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was talking to you just the other day, Mom, about it. Induction. Induction, yeah. If it was induction, I'd be okay, or if it's gas. After that, it's crap and don't use it. (laughs) (laughs) Can we end this podcast in an unusual way? Uh, Always. Okay, can you each list your favorite thing to cook? 
cold cereal doesn't count, right? You make. <laughs> yes, that cold cereal does not count. Dang it. Uh, Neither does ramen. It makes a short list. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's or right. spaghetti. Favorite. <laughs> okay, so I think... I'll go first because yeah, I do. actually do this occasionally. Um, my favorite thing to cook has always been some form of dessert because, yeah, of course it is. Um, my two favorites are the oatmeal chocolate chip cookie recipe that I've done since I was like five that mom helped me learn. And then the chocolate molten lava cake recipe that I figured out how to do one Mother's Day and that has been one of my greater achievements in my marriage. So <laughs> that, one's a, that one's a good one. That was a good one. I will say I, I really do not cook almost at all. So I don't know if this even counts, but I do make myself oatmeal every morning. And we're talking like not instant oatmeal. I get oats, I put in some chopped up dates, I add some walnuts, I add some almond milk, add some cinnamon, um, and then nuke it. So that's not really cooking, but it's more than cold cereal, and that's about as much time as I spend in the kitchen uh, pretty much ever. Um, so we'll go with oatmeal. <laughs> you nuke your oats? Oh, yes, I do. You don't cook them first and then yeah, add the uh, others? Yeah. I turn on the range almost not at all. Okay. Because right. it's not gas. So. <laughs> oh, it is gas. <laughs> it, I know. We, we all have to suffer these heretics, Cameron. Stay strong. <laughs> Tim, what's so your favorite? I, I was going to say soups. It's, it's this new thing because I'm always trying to kind of like Aunt Mary talked about, sneak vegetables in. So I just made a potato soup that was really more broccoli and spinach than potato. Um, but the kids ate it, and it was great. But I'm falling back to my real specialty, which is pizza. And um, I'm kind of passionate about it because homemade pizza is something that's routinely massacred because people don't know how to do the dough. And so that's, that's my one... Thing that I'm actually decent at and know how to do right. <laughs> Going with your pizza, what's your favorite type of pizza to make? Or have you done ever a crazy pizza? I, I kind of want to expound on that for a second. Ooh, um, well, so if I were going to make a deluxe pizza and really go all out, I would, so first I would, I would coat the pan with garlic and oil, um, you know, because it's good for you. Uh -huh. um, I would go real thin. I li I like thin crust, and Ooh. then oh no, go see, <laughs> see. Here's the thing: it's hard to Gross. do thin crust right, and uh, thin crust just good. A anyways, <laughs> um, I do lots. I do lots of sauce, lots of cheese, and then um, I probably do just like a a couple simple meats, maybe a chicken and uh, and ham or something. And then I would cook it extra long, get it nice and crisp. Gross. All right. All right. Now, okay. it. All How right. about you? What? No. Pizza. <laughs> I, I'm going to say craziest pizza I ever made was a chicken tikka masala pizza. Ooh. That sounds good. That does sound so, good. It was pretty good. I think Mama actually had some. Yes, I did. Wow. So, and it was very good. I've got to branch out more. I'm just saying, like the pizza has, you can do a lot with the pizza. <laughs> okay, Cameron, you had a favorite. Oh, I would say sam smoking a salmon is one of my favorite things to do. Um, I really started enjoying doing that. Um, I don't know; it really depends on my mood. I do like making a good stew or chili. That's on the on the stove for a good six hours, just simmering and just becoming just some delectable, you know, let all those flavors marry together. Um, it just kind of really depends on my mood, what I want to cook. But I don't know. Uh, apparently, Matt thinks I make amazing hamburgers and steaks. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's those are good. You do. The, your your hamburgers <laughs> you are the one hamburger <laughs> that Avi will eat without complaining. So. <laughs> And I, I hear you on the stew thing. One of my other favorite things to make is Dad's old chili recipe. That, oh, yeah. yeah. Mom? Which anyway. is like the only thing your dad's ever made. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's kind of weird. 
That's, I guess I'm a lot like dad then. Uh, let's have yeah. mom take us out of the podcast. Tell us what your favorite thing is to, to, to make mom and we'll wrap it up. I think it's because I haven't had an oven for a year now. I'm looking forward to being able to bake again. I'm looking forward to making bread. And um, I, I like good homemade bread on the day it's been baked. And uh, so, yeah, that's one of my favorite things to do. Do you want Delicious. me to get you some cast iron pans for you? <laughs> oh, I'm going to have an oven eventually. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Mom. Thanks, uh, Cameron. And uh, I guess I should thank Tim and Matt. But yes yeah. um, other than carl's oatmeal and tim's pizza i love matthew's lava cakes and um those are like my favorite also they are really good for sure all right well thank you again everyone and we will uh eat well until our next podcast okay thank all you right.